Well, listen, uh, I love Christmas, and um, uh, I love reading the Christmas stories in, in Matthew and Luke. I, I love um, thinking about uh, Jesus in the manger and Mary and Joseph and, and the shepherds gathering. I just love that thought. I, I, I love thinking about that star, and, and I love thinking about um, you know, God showing that something big had happened in, in Bethlehem. And I also love the fact that, that God loves us so much that, that he decided to come in skin and reveal himself uh, to us in a powerful way to let us know that we have power through Christ to overcome our sin. Uh, I also love the um, uh, non-religious kind of things. I love the commercial things. I love lights. Uh, Patty and I were, were driving through a neighborhood or two the last night or two and just loved to, to see the lights. And then we get back to our house and I just have like one string on the top of the roof. But hey, it was a, it was a good shot this year to get something up there, right? But uh, lights are beautiful. Um, she loves the mall buzz. I, I kind of don't, but uh, that's okay. And, uh, but I, I love um, going and watching people get cranky while they're shopping. You know, I, I love making sure that I can park like really close to like the store that everybody wants to get to. And then you kind of walk out with bags and, and then everybody like lines up and they're all like hitting blinkers like, I'm going to get it. No, I'm going to get it. And you just go and you pop open your trunk, put the bags in and you walk back in the store. Have you ever done that? That's a neat thing to do. And if I've ever done that to you, uh, you deserved it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, so Christmas is, is a, it's a great time. But I also love um, having family together. And this is the uh, first Christmas and um, how, about how many that we've had little kids in the house. So uh, uh, about 25 years since we've had little kids in the house. So it'll be, it'll be a, a lot of fun. There's something else that I really love, and that's uh, picking out the perfect Christmas gift for my wife. Now, she's here, uh, so she's probably going to get a little... Uh, understanding of what one of those gifts might be. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to get her something really special. But like you, money's tight this year. And uh, so I kind of had a little budget to work with. Maybe you know what budgeting is like when you're buying Christmas gifts. So I was in the mall one day, and I uh, wound up in a perfume uh, place in the mall, and I decided I'd start looking at some perfume. So one of the ladies from the counter came over to me, and she said, may I help you? So I said, I really want to get a really nice perfume for my wife. You know, she, she just does so much for me all year, and I just want to show my, my love and my affection through this really nice gift of perfume. So the lady says, I've got just exactly what you need, and she comes back, and she gives me this big bottle. I look at it, I'm like, this is really great. And then, you know, kind of how you like, kind of like flip the box a little bit so you can kind of like see the price without having to ask. Well, I couldn't see because I didn't have my glasses on. So I said, well, how much is this? And she said, it's $100. And I went, what? You know, and I said, well, do you, do you have something a little bit less expensive? And she kind of looked at me funny and went back and she came back with another little bottle. And I looked at it and it was a little bit smaller. And I kind of, I said, well, how much is this one? She said, well, that one's $50. And I said, well, don't you have anything cheaper than this? I mean, this is, that's a lot of money. And so she came back with this wee itty bitty little bottle. And I looked at it and I said, okay, how much is this one? And she said, well, this one's $15. I said, 15 bucks. I said, can't you show me anything cheaper than that? And she said, hold on. And she came back and she put something in my hand and she said, you want to see something really cheap? Just look at that. She gave me a mirror. <laughs> yeah. You know, Christmas is uh, that kind of year where, where we just love uh, giving gifts and things like that, and it seems like gift giving is part of the story. And in Matthew's gospel, we, we learn about um, gifts. Now, how many magi were there? How many magi? How many wise men? Three. Okay, it wasn't a trick question, okay? Uh, how many gifts were there? Who remembers the gifts? 
Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. So, so we know that these gifts were given to Jesus, uh, but we also know something really strange about the wise men. They smelled really smoky because they had come from afar. Anyway, um, <laughs> I try to get that in every year. So, all right. So, uh, believe it or not, the foretelling of Jesus' birth actually came 800 years uh, before it happened. The, the prophet Isaiah uh, began to proclaim 800 years before Jesus' birth that something was going to happen. Before the shepherds gathered on that holy night, before any of that happened, the prophet Isaiah said, here's a word of hope for God's people. He was proclaiming the word of God, hopeful words, uh, powerful words to the people of Israel who had been exiled. They had no home. They had had their homes taken away and everything and taken off into a foreign land. And Isaiah is giving them hope in that time. And here's, here's some words that he writes. He said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, this is really important for us to know because sometimes we get hung up on, well, you know, nobody knew that Jesus was going to get born or get birthed and, and, and that he would be born one day. Well, Isaiah said, look for the sign. And the sign will be there. And here it is. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, we know that that translates into the words God with us. And, and those are powerful words. And, and uh, there are so many times in my life that I, I have to go back and remind myself that one of the names of God is Emmanuel. That, Bob, God is with you. That no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what's going on. And you know what? God is with you. And no matter what's going on or what's happening in your life, God is with us, Emmanuel. The season is also one that uh, we have to have that reminder that God is with us. You know, national statistics uh, tell us that there's a lot of uh, things happening, but more importantly, we, we kind of buy into that phrase that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And, and it really can be, but too often we find out that unfortunately it isn't always the most wonderful time of the year because many of us find ourselves living in our own exile. We find ourselves at odds with our loved ones. We find ourselves not speaking to family, not, not speaking to friends. We find ourselves angry and upset. We find ourselves not wanting people to come over. We find ourselves just wanting to disconnect. And we've got to be really careful with that as we find ourselves living in that exile. And if that's where you find yourself this season for Christmas, I really want you to be in tune with Isaiah's words, that, that there is a sign that, that Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. But Isaiah wants to remind us that that. We can find God in the presence of the name Emmanuel, that no matter what is happening or what you're thinking, that God is with you. Jesus' birth brought us some of the things that we really yearn for at Christmas time. We yearn for peace. How many want peace in, in not only in our own lives, but in the world? How many of us want hope? We want hope, and we want to know that when we wake up in the morning, that there is hope for the day. We want joy, and I talked about that last week, that, that you know, joy is not happiness. Happiness is a choice, and happiness is contingent upon something happening. And joy is something that God puts in us, and we want to experience joy. And today, we're talking about love and, and the importance of what love is and what it means. Isaiah continues to write. He says, a green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump. So he's giving the lineage of what's happening, uh, of who Jesus is, taking it all the way back to Abraham. From his roots, a budding branch, the life-giving spirit of God will hover over him. And the spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. So the spirit that's going to be a part of, of who God is in skin is all of these things that are of so importance. He says fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances. If you ever feel like someone's judging you by your appearance, 
for whatever that appearance might be, God's not going to judge you by your appearance. He won't decide on the basis of hearsay. So if people are saying things about you, if people have said things about you, if people are uh, saying uh, things that are wrong about you or whatever, God doesn't listen to hearsay. And, and God listens to truth. He'll judge the needy by what's right, render decisions on earth poor with justice. And we know that that's part of the character and nature of God, that God is drawn near to the brokenhearted, that God draws near to the poor, and God will reign justice so that the poor actually have something of value in life. Isaiah continues to write, his words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. And each morning he'll put on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. He's encouraging the people that God will walk beside them, that God will labor with them. He'll toil in those labors, that as they begin that process, whenever it comes of rebuilding and reconnecting and reestablishing, that God will be all in and get his hands dirty. Listen to this one. The, the wolf will romp with the lamb. You know, when, when will wolves and lambs get along? He says that, that, that God has the power, that these are the signs, that this is what Jesus accomplishes, that the things that are enemies, the things that are of, of natural disorder, that God has a way of reconciling that. The leopard will sleep with a kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little kid will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs, they'll grow up together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Are you seeing? These are signs of the peaceable kingdom. These are the signs of, of the world in which God brings and God, and God reigns. <clears throat> the nursing child will crawl over the rattlesnake den. The toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. And neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God ocean, deep, ocean-wide. And on that day, Jesse's root will be raised high, posted as a rallying banner for the peoples. So God will, will, will be the sign to rally us, and through the life of Jesus, we'll have something to celebrate, and we'll be triumphant with that. And he says that all the nations will come unto him. And that, that is the goal of what God has. God, God is constantly working to reconcile all creation, all peoples, back to him to come back and to return. You see, Isaiah is talking to a people who are experiencing a dry season. Uh, they're, they're in exile, and their hope is in peril, and they're wandering aimlessly and they're not sure what the next day will bring. So Isaiah's words are, are not to rain judgment upon them, but, but to lift up the promises. And, and it's ironic that these are 800 years before Jesus actually is born. So God is saying that, that the time will come in my time when this sign will come. And it happens to be 800 years after Isaiah proclaims these words. The Christmas story it boils down the significance that love is the very fact that God loves you and God loves me. And God loves us so much that, that he has come to join with us and has revealed himself here on earth. John the Apostle writes this in the first part, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow um, afternoon and evening at Christmas Eve. Um, John says this, the word became flesh and blood, the logos, the word, God the Spirit of God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that translation. Think about Jesus moving into the neighborhood. 
He's right next door. He's across the street. He he's might even be moving into the room in your house that you're subletting out. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And this proves the love of God, that God loves us so much that he steps out of heaven, he comes into the world, and is born through the, the womb of a woman, of a, of a woman named Mary, a teenager, 13, maybe 14 years of age. And God comes into the world to reveal himself, reveal himself in a powerful way. So love is something that we really need to hold on to, not just here at the Christmas season, but we need to hold on to love every day. And that's why love every day, 365, is so important. But love just doesn't happen to you. Love is a choice. You can choose to love or you can choose not to love. You don't have to love, but you can make that choice. And if you choose to love, then love is a choice. And, and then if you choose to love, you have to recall that, that love then as a choice means a total commitment. When you choose to love, you are making a total commitment to your spouse. When you choose to love, you're making a total commitment to your friends. When you choose to love, you're making a total commitment uh, to your siblings, to your brothers and your sisters. When you choose to love, you're making a total commitment uh, to your friends. When you choose to love, you're making a total commitment to your church. When you choose to love, something major, something big happens, and love is a choice. And the Christmas season is a, is a great time for us to remember that the reason that God wants us to choose love is because God is love. And without God, we wouldn't know how to love, but with God, we do. And because God chose to love us, we can now learn how to love each other. John says love comes from God because God is love. So if we want to know what love looks like, we look at the character of God, we look at the love of Jesus. We also have to make sure that, that we are um, secure in the truth that we cannot make God stop loving us, no matter what our life has had happen. The fact that you've gone through a crisis in your life, the fact that you've made what might be the wrong choice, the fact that you've gotten missed, missed the mark and gotten off the path, the fact that you have done something that, that you were told you shouldn't do or you, your conscience said isn't the right thing to do, God doesn't stop loving you when those things happen. In fact, um, I understand it that that's when grace really comes even more toward us, not to encourage us to make bad choices so that we get more grace, but when we're in that realm of pulling away from God, when God brings even more grace to us, it woos us back into his presence. So the fact that you've made mistakes in life, the fact that you've made choices that others might think wasn't the right thing to do, or maybe it wasn't, does not stop God from loving you. God loves you with all of his heart. And whenever we start living that kind of love, whenever we embrace that, when we first understand that God loves even me, then we can start expressing that love to others. And when we express that love to others, what that says is that we become a little bit more patient, we become a little bit more kind, we become a little less stressed, but we learn what it means to love. So there's two things I want you to leave with as we're coming into this last Sunday of Advent of Christmas. And that is that love defines your character. Love defines your character. Love is an inside job. It's, um, it's God at work in your heart. Love is an inside job. It has to happen inside of you. Most of us are, are um, people that, that want approval from others. Most of us are pleasers. 
Most of us want to make our decisions based upon what someone else might think. You know, if you're, if you're with somebody in a relationship, there are decisions that you're going to make that may not be the decision you want to make, but you end up making that decision because you want the approval of the person that you're in a relationship with. And what we have to be careful is, is that we don't lose our identity in that. Because oftentimes when we, when we make decisions solely based upon trying to express or to get someone else's love, we lose sight of what love truly means. And what we need to know is, is that we're loved by God, and, and, and what we need to do is we need to love others as God loves us. So the only person that we ever seek approval from is God. And we don't have to work at that. God sees us. God created us. God said, when I created you, when I created you, when I created all of us, God says, when I created you, I created you in my image. And it says that I think it is good. So however you've been created, whatever that means, God looks at you and says, you are good because you are in my image. And that image is the image of God. So I want you to think for a second, um, I left my Play-Doh in the roving room over there, so I don't have Play-Doh, but anyway, so imagine I have Play-Doh, and imagine that I'm making a heart, and I want you to think about how, for most of us, before we understand the love of God, our heart is just kind of like this formless, shapeless blob, but as we start to get to know God, God starts helping us to understand what a heart for Christ is, what a heart of love is. And what we start finding out is we start trimming off some of the, the rough edges. We start having a shape to that. And we begin to see a heart that's created. And that heart begins to tell us and demonstrate and to show us what it means to love someone else. But what happens with that is, is that as God continues to work on our heart, God starts pushing at our heart in places that we don't like. God starts pushing our heart in places where, where when we get mad at somebody, God says, why are you mad at them? You need to find a way to love them. Whenever we're disgruntled with somebody, why are you disgruntled with them? You need to find a way to love them. When we won't forgive someone, God says, you got to forgive. you got to do that. And we, God starts pushing in our hearts. you got to let go of those things, those biases, whatever they are. And ultimately what that does is it creates a hole in our heart. So our heart, and then we have this hole in it. And with a heart with a hole in it, we're lost. But God wants to fill that heart with his love. And God wants to take that void. So if we're struggling, if you're struggling to love someone, if you're struggling to forgive someone, if you're struggling to get along with someone, then the odds are is that you've got a hole in your heart that you're not letting God fill. Because when God fills the voids of our heart, when God fills that space with the presence and the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus and the Father, when God fills that void, we then become people of love. Here's, uh, here's something else to think about. Hundreds of years later, the, the greatest enemy of Christianity, Saul of Tarsus, was incent, inciting crowds to, to kill Christians. And Saul uh, has an accident on the road to Damascus as he's heading there to kill more Christians. And when he falls off of his horse, he's blinded by this vision. And what we learn in the story is that scales come upon his eyes. He sees the risen Jesus and Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul becomes, starts using his other name, his Greek name and Roman name, Saul, and his other name is Paul. He becomes the greatest preacher, the greatest person of New Testament history. 
And because he comes into the presence of God with hate and, 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 and problems and issues in his heart, because he surrenders his heart to Jesus, something powerfully happens to him. And he has the, he has the courage and the strength and the transformation to write these words. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrong. How many of us can, can define love in our life that way, that we're not keeping any records of wrong against anybody? But Paul says that when we know that we're really loving with the heart of God, we're not gonna be doing that. We're not gonna be keeping records of wrong. He says, love does not delight in evil, but, but rejoices with truth. But listen to what he says here. He says, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, it always perseveres. And then he says the very important part here, love never fails. Everything else about us can fail, but love can't. Our flesh can die, but the love of God in us cannot fail. We can break limbs, but the love of God in us won't fail. We can, we can lose relationships, but the love of God in us will not fail. The love of God never fails. And that leads us to the, to the last piece here. At Christmas time, I want you to remember this, that, that love heals all wounds. Love heals all wounds. Most of us probably could say that, that somehow along the line of life that we've had something happen we feel that we're not loved by others. We feel trapped. We feel paralyzed. And if there was a way that we could remove the woundedness that we're holding on to, then maybe we could find a way to love again. And this is powerful in what, what God is saying. And this is exactly what, what um, Isaiah was saying to the people in captivity. Stop being held captive. Let the love of God reign in you. And what he said to the people then, as he says to us, is, is that there are those times in life when life is painful. Life, life hands us painful blows, but it can't separate us from the love of God. He says to us that, that there are things that, mishaps that happen, there are struggles that come, but it still can't separate us from the love of God. Isaiah writes this, he says, the mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees will clap their hands. God will, will do something miraculous in, in bringing hope back into your life. And instead of the thorn bush uh, will grow the pine tree. The pine tree is a, is a sign of peace. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. Some will say that the, um, that the pursuit of love can be an awfully painful thing. And many of us can say that our hearts have been broken trying to find love. Without warning, your loved one walks out of your life. It's painful. Even though you promise never to hurt someone you love, something happens and you've hurt them in some way. It's painful. When you look at someone you feel has hurt you, you struggle with, how am I gonna reconcile this to Jesus' words? Not just to love my enemy, but to love my neighbor as I love myself. But we know that God is not exempt from pain either. God came in the flesh of Jesus and, and we know that in the pursuit of our love and we know that all throughout what we see in scripture and the stories that we see that there is time and time again about how God has been involved in understanding pain in the world. The Heavenly Father's heart was pierced in the beginning when the fall of humanity was exposed in the garden. God's heart was broken. 
When God saw David, King David, enter into adulterous sin, God's heart was broken when he knew that the leader that he had selected had fallen far short. And Jesus, as he looks at the apostles and as all the people who are following Jesus start slowly walking away because, you know, we're just not really sure that you are who you say you are. And he looks at the apostles and he says to them, are, are you going to leave me too? Everybody else has. God knows what that's like. So God knows what it means to experience a life without love. But John says that whenever we experience love, that we then can emulate it. And that the only way that we can share the love of God is to receive and accept the love of God. He writes this, he says, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. So you can't know him if, you're, if you don't love. So if, you're not, if you don't know how to love someone else, then, then you probably don't know the full totality of who God is. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is the kind of love that we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that we've done to our relationships with God. And then John says, my dear, dear friends, if God so loved us like this, then we certainly ought to love each other in the same way. Let me end reading to you something that Max Locato, a, a wonderful Christian writer, uh, writes, and, and this is in his book, In the Grips of Grace. He says, untethered by time, God sees us all. From the backwoods of Virginia to the business district of London, from the Vikings to the astronauts, from the cave dwellers to the kings, from the hut builders to the finger pointers to the rock stackers, God sees us. Vagabonds and ragamuffins all. He saw us before we were born. And he loves what he sees, flooded by emotion, overcome by pride. The star maker turns to us one by one and says, you are my child. I love you dearly. I'm aware that someday you'll turn from me and walk away, but I want you to know that I have already provided you a way back. And to prove it, he writes, he did something extraordinary. Stepping from the throne, he removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin, pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. He whom angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant, was birthed into the cold night, and then slept on cow's hay. Mary didn't know whether to give him milk or to give him praise, but she gave him both since he was, as near as she could figure, hungry and holy. Joseph didn't know whether to call him junior or father, but in the end called him Jesus, since that's what the angel had said, and since he didn't have the faintest idea what to name a God that he could cradle in his arms. Don't you think their, help, their heads tilted and their minds wondered, what in the world are you doing, God? Or better phrase, God, what are you doing in the world? Can anything make me stop loving you, God asks. Watch me speak your language, sleep on your earth, feel your hurts, Behold the maker of sight and sound as he sneezes, coughs, and blows his nose. You wonder if I understand how you feel? Look into the dancing eyes of the kid from Nazareth. That's God walking to school. And ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God spilling his milk. And you wonder how long my love will last. Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. That's me you see up there, your maker, your God. Nail stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit, 
and sin-soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you. 